That is a nice beer, and I'm pouring it into a mug with a little bit of spicy V8. So it's a, it's a thing that I do, and I've been doing for, for I don't know how long, for years. It's just something I really enjoy. I, huh, I, spicy V8. I've never heard of that. Well, I was years ago, I was playing pool with a good buddy of mine, Bill Boyer, and um, he ordered us a, a pitcher of red beer, and it was basically the worst beer I've ever had, which is Budweiser. And they mixed it with tomato juice, just tomato juice. And that mix even in itself was not bad. And so I said, well, what if you do, you know, do it with a good beer and then make it spicy. And they gave us a pitcher. We, we got a pitcher of, um, what was it? It was better than Budweiser. I'd hate to say it was Coors Light, but this was like 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> and then they gave us they they poured Snappy Tom in it and that was that was good, so I'm just doing a variation on that. So it's Michelob Ultra and Spicy V8. Okay, and interesting. You got, you got to come up with your ratio though to see you know how you like yeah. it like that. Yeah, yeah. And you got to let it I'll... swirl a little bit to mix up because otherwise you get beer on top and the juice on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just drinking a German dark beer called Kustreitzer. Hmm. Um, it's a black lager beer, very similar to a Guinness, but not as thick as Guinness is. Really? So, really? Yeah. It's, nice, it's a nice beer. Now, does that one come with the roach bait in the, in the bottom? No. <laughs> no. No. Which one was it that I had? Was that Boddington's that has that at the bottom? I forget. But... Uh, I, did, I, I used to drink. I, I tried a lot of different different beers in my younger days. I was I was big on Scheinerbach for a long time, mm-hmm. and um, I would ha- I would order a Guinness when you went to the right pub and they knew how to do do a good pull on it. Well, and you want to go to a pub that actually serves Guinness regularly. You don't want yeah. that stuff sitting in a line. Right, and right, yeah. Nasty. Mm. But um, yeah. I don't. I, I mean, I, I rarely drink more than one or two beers at a time. You know, just uh, I don't know if it's age or you know, just I, I'm not, not not needing to get the the buzz so much. Mm-hmm. Just enjoy the the flavor of what I'm drinking. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But uh, so, did you have fun this week? Uh, it's been a busy week. We uh, for me. I volunteer with our St. Patrick's Day planning committee, and uh, I've been doing that for about 23, 24 years, and we're just starting to get into the swing of it. So, uh, and I'm in charge of the social media and uh, getting our, our advertising out. So I've been working hard on, or working a lot on getting quotations for ads and figuring out how much are we going to spend where are we going to spend it how diverse are we going to be and now i have to create the ads to send in to our print ones and uh so that'll keep me busy and i've got to come up with you know three or four or five posts a week for social media so 
this is practically a full-time job on yeah. top of my full-time job. <laughs> yeah, and, and and as I was telling you before we got on, you know, on air, uh, I've been looking for a house, and that right there is like a full-time job too. Mm-hmm. And of course, this is we're getting into a crazy, crazy time. Uh, last Monday was my son's 16th birthday. Um, so happy birthday, Christopher! He's 16 now. Which means that, that that he may be driving soon. I'm scared of that, but I'll, I'll, de- I'll deal. And then this Sunday, uh, the 29th, is my daughter Sarah's birthday. Now, and then Chris is 11 years younger than her, so he turned 16, so she'll be turning 27. Wow. Yeah. Now she's gonna she's gonna be over tomorrow night, and then. Uh, let's see. Tomorrow night, she is coming over to celebrate Christopher's birthday, and we're going to be playing, having like a game night where we're going to play poker and then probably cards against humanity. Have you ever played this game? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, a lot of fun. <laughs> very vulgar uh, at times. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we have a lot of fun with it. And uh, Chris wants to find some way of turning the cards against humanity into also a possibility for winning money like you would at poker. So, you know, we'll see see how that goes. And then, uh, since Saturday is Christopher's, um, my wife is making something for him for tomorrow, but she's also prepping food for Sunday, where basically we're, she's going to, she's smoking a brisket. Mm. And I found a 17-pound brisket on sale. I, I, I don't think I'd ever paid this little for a brisket. And it is really good and huge, and it's just got that right amount of fat on it. So, very. I'm looking forward to it. She the way she does the brisket in just a great way, where she uh, instead of like, uh, she, yeah, she uh, will wrap it in tin foil and put it in mm-hmm. a roasting pan, and then she injects this broth that she makes into it. Um, something that, that she figured out years ago when we were doing deep fried turkeys and you use the injectables on those turkeys to keep them juicy. And we were doing that. We started doing that on the brisket and it just, oh, and the, the broth that she makes, the brine, I guess that she makes, I mean, she seasons the thing on the outside, but what she injects on the inside just makes it so tender and juicy once it's cooked all the way through. Oh, that sounds great. I know I'm getting hungry now just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, that was, uh, I think our daughter's request was for the brisket. So got that going. And like I said, looking for uh, looking for a house. And I'm getting scared because it means pretty soon I'm going to have to start moving the boxes. Yeah. But you know, another thing that's, that's scary about moving, and it's, I mean, I haven't moved in 23 years. And back then, I was a single man. And so, yes, I had my comic book boxes. I had my furniture. My roommate had his furniture. But it's nothing like the the, the idea of moving a house now. And Tim is going through something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm going to have to pack up everything here. I'm going to have to throw away a lot of stuff. And I did... One thing this week that uh, has kind of gone viral in several of the Facebook groups out there, uh, IT Humor and Memes and uh, DFW Retro Computing. And what it was was uh, I went through my cable boxes and I purged (laughs) old cables. Now, Uh 
anybody <laughs> anybody that works in computers, anybody that works in IT, anybody that works with audio video equipment on a regular amount it basically lost their minds this last week <laughs> as I led up to it and then finally did it. And then, you know, they said, you know, 24 hours, once that stuff's been picked up, someone's going to need something. They're going to need that one cable, that one thing. Yeah. And so I, I was like, I it, it started stressing about it, you know, I, I mean, <laughs> really stressing about it because it's like, you know, this is the, the way it goes is that, you know, it's like, in, in fact of the matter is, is that last year, my wife was asking me what I was doing with all those cables. And I said, yeah, you know, I really need to go through those. And then like a day later, my father-in-law says, hey, I, this cable I've got here for this, uh, it doesn't work anymore. And it was for a, like an old um, uh, an, an old sound thing. And so I had to get a RCA to one quarter inch audio cable. And I just so happened to have three. You know, so I'm like, there you go. <laughs> and my wife is like, you mean that uh, you had one of those cables in your box? You know, it's like I've got a cable for everything in this box or these boxes. <laughs> and I'm just like, but do, what do I throw away? And you know, it's and like, there you just justified keeping that box and not doing anything with no, it, didn't you? No, no, no. I mean, it's taking, no? it's taking up so much space. And the thing is, there's yeah. power supplies that were in there from, like, a Toshiba laptop from the 1990s. What am I going to need that for? I'm never yeah. going to need that. Nobody's ever going to come and say, I've got this laptop from the 90s. I've got secret government data I need to get off of it, you know? There's nothing that, that's going to be life-shattering important from a Toshiba laptop from the 90s. Mm -hmm. It ran Windows 98, Okay. Mm -hmm. And that one's gone. It's dust. It was totally dismantled. Parts went out the door. So here's a power supply. There's nothing else it goes to. And then there's like 10 more power supplies that I don't know what they went to. And they've been sitting in this box here for, you know, at least 10 years. No one's needed it for 10 years. I'm pretty sure nobody's going to need it. So why not throw it out? Probably one of the best ways to do that is don't even look at what it is. Just grab it and put it in the in the outgoing box. Don't look at it. <laughs> well, no, I I it. did look at it because I'm sitting there going, okay, what I you know, there's cables. I sat there and I looked at it and I said, do I want to keep a lot of these, a few of these, just one of these? And most of them it was okay. I just want to keep just one. But there are certain cables that I'm like, you know what? I want to keep a lot of these. Mm -hmm. And that is the type of cable that plugs into the back of the PC or the type of cable that plugs into the back of, say, an Xbox, PlayStation, because they're the same ca same type cable that goes in the back of an Xbox and a PlayStation and, a, uh, you know, stuff like the, the gaming systems like that. It's a two-prong connector. And the one that goes back into the PC, it's a three-prong connector, you know? Mm -hmm. So I kept a good n a number of those, but still threw some away. And then there's all the various video cables because you've got VGA ca VGA cables, DVI cables, um, HDMI cables, DisplayPort cables, um, coax cable. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, for the most part, coax. We're done with coax in this house. Mm -hmm. uh, there's coax. It's used by Directv for one connection to their boxes. But any time that they come out here, they supply they supply their own. 
you know. I, I've got no, and uh, all the stuff that I had here was like RG5, and, and the standard today is RG6, so why keep it? And then um, there was another type cable. Oh, yeah, yeah, network cable. Now, back in the early 2000s, I used to host a lot of LAN parties, and that's where all my friends would bring their computers, would plug into my network, and we'd spend the night killing each other playing a game like uh, Wolfenstein Enemy Territory or... Uh, Star Wars Battleground or Battlefront or whatever it was called back then, you know. But and and to do that, they would have to plug into my network. I had a bunch of uh, switches and uh, hubs that uh, they could all plug into throughout the house and be on that network. And as a result, I had tons and tons of network cable. Now, were I ever to do another LAN party like that? Which would be a nice thing. I, I couldn't do it in this house, not the way the house is now, not with the family that I have. But if we move to a new place and we get a place with a large enough like living room, dining room, all that kind of stuff, we could do that again. But would we even need to do it over a wired network? We should be able to do it over wireless. And that's... Well, yeah. And, that makes sense. And so I'm just like, do I really need to keep all these cables? And I know there are people right now at home listening to this going, yes, yes, keep them. And there's one guy out there saying, no, recycle them. <laughs> Strip them for the copper and sell it for money. <laughs> we just went through, uh, we had a re- electronics recycling not too long ago, and we got rid of a bunch of, same thing, cables, 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 cords, all that sort of stuff, along with some electronic stuff, and just got rid of it. Yeah. So I know what you're going through. <laughs> it's it's liberating in one way because it frees up space and, you know, all that. But at the same time, it's nerve-wracking because you're just waiting for – it reminds me – it makes me think of uh, – you remember Mad Magazine, The Lighter Side by Dave Berg? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, they he would do a strip, and it would be like a newspaper strip. It was very well drawn. And – it was always ironic, you know, ironic strips. I think one of them was like the guy is sitting there on the couch watching TV, and he's going, "Man, I hate, I hate these Burger King commercials." And the girl asks him why. He goes, "Because it always makes me so, so hungry." I mean, look at that burger; it is mouth watering. All right, in the last panel, he goes, "Let's go to McDonald's." You know, the irony that the, the Burger King commercial made him hungry. And yet he's going to go to McDonald's, which is what I would do. Mm-hmm. But the the one that it made me think of though was guy and his wife in bed um, in their apartment, and all of a sudden you hear a clump from up above, and he goes, "Oh gosh, here we go, our next door neighbor taking off his shoes, and he takes forever to do this, and I just can't get back to sleep until he throws the second one off." And you could just see him sitting there for a while, then finally clump. He goes, okay, now I can go back to sleep. And then you hear a third clump. And he and the wife both just eyes wide open looking up at the ceiling like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, and that's that's how I feel. Like I've heard the, the second shoe's already dropped and I'm waiting for the third one to come out. Mm-hmm. And I'm never, ever going to get back to sleep. But, you know, that's that's how it goes. So what else is going on? Well, I got some. I got a couple of boxes of books, trades that I'm really excited about. Um, 
you know, um, Nigel had asked me, hey, what'd you get for Christmas, you know, uh, as far as books and stuff? And I was like, you know, I didn't really go through anything and do anything like that. I But then after the Christmas season, I was on, I can't even remember which group it is, but someone said, oh, you know, IDW is having a great sale on some of these uh, omnibuses and artist editions. And uh, they happened to have mentioned something about the Bob Layton Iron Man issues. Oh. And and I never read Iron Man. I was not really that interested in Iron Man as a kid when they were coming out. My buddy was, my best friend. He was, like, totally an Iron Man. He loved it. And I do remember looking at his comics, and uh, and I remember the Demon in the Bottle, bottle storyline, which I thought was kind of interesting. But overall, Iron Man to me was not an interesting character as a solo character. I love him in The Avengers. So I was like, okay, that's a long way to go to just say, all right, you know, let me check that out. And so it was that big, oversized artist edition that uh, limited to like 999 copies, and they had signed editions. Hmm. They had it on sale for like 30 bucks. Wow. Wow. Uh, and I, I couldn't get it into my cart and pay for it quick enough. I was afraid it would be snatched out from underneath me. They just happened to have a couple left. And, like, the next day I went and checked, and they were out of stock. Uh, See, so yeah, uh, I was getting ready to go. <laughs> go look. Yeah, no, it's gone. <laughs> They're out of stock. Oh, wow. And But have you received it yet? I received it. It's gorgeous. It's not the typical where they just printed the, the, the art. Yeah. You know the the black and white drawings and stuff. This is it's a blown up full color reproductions of the colored. So it's like a masterworks. Yeah. Only it's oversized, so it's that giant. I don't know. I don't know what the size is. I don't have them in the office here with me. If it's like yeah, the and, if it's like the artisan edition, it's like eleven by seventeen, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. it's big like that, and it's pretty thick. And, and supposedly it, it's all of his all of the issues that he drew. Uh, from like 125 to like 240. Now he had a pretty solid run up until like 150, and then he was off for a while. And there was a couple of sporadic now, issues. Was it Bob Layton? Yeah, yeah. Bob Layton. And, and I mean, because I mean, he inked a lot of it. I didn't know he drew them directly, uh, especially around the Demon and Bottle time. That was more like John Romita Jr. doing the art. Maybe it was him inking it, but it is all of his work on on those issues, and wow. so it's just really beautiful. I follow him on Facebook, and I love his reproductions and his work. And he's a solid artist. I mean, I really yeah. like his work. And uh, so I'm looking forward to just checking it out because I hear just great stuff about those runs. So I'm looking forward to like, okay, it's new. It'll be new to me, and uh, it's from an era that I absolutely love to be in, which is the Bronze Age. Yeah, I just I love that era. So um, it will be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and then I love that era too, and yeah. and just the whole. Uh, I mean, David Michelinie and Bob Layton were basically kind of a Claremont and Byrne, but for Iron Man. Yeah. And yeah. so they yeah. would plot together, but uh, he always he always let somebody do the the main art chores and he would ink. But uh, yeah. Well, maybe so. I, you know, I haven't looked at it that closely. I just got it a couple of days ago. And, uh, and I just kind of opened it up and flipped through it. I didn't check the credits on it, but man, is it just a beautiful I, book. And it's I, in a slip, slip cover. I so envy you because that is just so, um, it's so very Marvel in, mm -hmm. in how it is because of how it ties with the rest of the Marvel universe. And I mean, it, it again, it, 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 David McElhaney, you know, as a writer in my, in my mind can do no wrong. 
uh, <laughs> when he's writing Iron Man or Spider Man. Um, so you know, I mean, it's it. You know, hopefully, you will enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, there were so many great issues in there: the stealth armor issue, the the Centurion, uh, the, the the attack. Oh, oh my gosh! It, yeah, I, you're just just. I can't wait to hear your uh, your <laughs> response on that. Now, you may not like it as much as I, I don't know, but I, hopefully, uh, you get a good read through and, and we can talk about it later because that's some that's some really good stuff. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun reading that. Um, and then I got a uh, so there were some other stuff that they had on sale. They had some other good books that that was directly from IDW. Uh, some of the stuff there was a couple of things and they were sold out, so I missed those. Uh, but uh, but I was really thrilled about that. So and I and then I figured, man, if I don't like it, I, I can just move it on to somebody who who does. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Then uh, so that kind of set me on a on a rabbit hole. So I went to um, um, Discount Comics mm-hmm. or no In Stock Trades. Sorry. In Stock, in stock trades, trades, yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, what do they got going on? So I went through and saw some stuff, and I was like, oh, this is cool. So I went on a buying spree. Uh, I ended up with a treasury sized edition of the Legion of Superheroes with um, Saturn Girl and Lightning Lad's wedding. And uh, and I always I've wanted it since they put it out, but I'm like I don't want to pay forty bucks for that. And you know, so they had it on sale for half price, and I'm like, all right, cool, uh, that's doable. I got a a Legion omnibus from the era right before the Grell took over, uh, the Grell years. So, so that'd be uh, Cochrane, wouldn't it? Uh, well, it's a little bit before that too. It's it's oh. from right before when I started collecting the Legion. So um, it's kind of before all the costume changes. So I'm looking forward to kind of getting into that because it has my favorite Mordru story in there, which is the one that was in a treasury size edition that uh, I always liked as a kid. And then uh, what else did I pick up? Uh, I picked up a New Teen Titans trade uh, and um, uh, oh, oh, and just just for the heck of it, they had a Batman and Superman World's Finest. It was kind of like the tail end of the Silver Age issues. And that was so super cheap. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get it because it's just going to be fun reading. Yeah. That's, and I mean, that was the the Batman and Superman are the bestest friends ever uh, era. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's I, I always liked that. I liked that era. I like I liked the friendship that they had. Um, and it's funny because someone had posted on Facebook today an image of Superman and Batman hugging. And, you know, it's like. No, I'd seen it before. I'd seen that stuff before. <laughs> yeah, and, and they're saying it's like a, like a like it's a new thing or whatever, you know. But again, it's been forty years since anyone's drawn them as you know to put them together as good friends. So, man, but now that I, I you know I, I keep thinking I want to go back and reread my Legion, though I've got gaps in my collection because I think um, the earliest that I have physically on the Legion is 197 of Superboy and the Legion. Wow, okay. And, 190, and, and the thing is, that one is, is interesting for a reason. And I'd actually asked John Byrne if the cover of this issue, um, I, I want to share it with you. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and share this image, this page. You let me know if you can see that. 
Oh, I see you're sharing, but I don't see what you're sharing. Okay, let me see. If, do you see that? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Timberwolf fighting the uh, the Legion. Yeah. Now, take a look at that, and then take a look at that Fantastic Four image. Or t- oh, right. Yeah. And, I mean, look how he's holding Brainiac 5 yeah. versus Mr. Fantastic. And, and Chameleon Boy versus the Thing. Yeah. And then you got, you know, but the other people are laying in front of him instead of behind him. So it's it's just like this and this is you know years and years before it's in the 70s uh so and i i asked him i said was this inspiration at all and he goes anybody that knows me knows that you know nothing in the legion uh you know is gonna you know inspire me or anything because i he doesn't like the legion but it doesn't mean he had didn't see the cover and it was somewhere in the back of his mind when he was trying to come up with an idea. So I don't know. You know. I mean, I, you know, I I, I I accept him at his at his answer, but I can't help well, but look at this and wonder, you know, because. But I'm I'm not saying it directly influenced him, but if if he saw the cover at some point, it's there and it inspired in that way, but not purposefully. But you know, people see stuff all the time, and it just kind of comes in in subtle ways. So, yeah. directly influenced? No, because he's like, nope. But subtly, possibly, it's possible. But because you're right, it's it's so close that you you can't you can almost say that. Well, there's got to be something to it. But yeah. anyway, yeah, you're right. It's good. So, and, and the thing is, is if you look at the the cover of Superman Eight. And that's where he's got the Legion there. And Brainiac 5 is the one he's holding, but he's facing the other direction. Instead of to his right, he's to his left. And Block, he's holding up like the thing was with his uh, right arm. So yeah. so it's, you know, it's, it's it still strikes me odd, but at the same time, okay, yeah. If he says no, then he says no. Um, but I just thought that was uh, that was interesting. But yeah, I want to go back and reread my Legion stuff because I want to go through the Great Darkness saga again. Mm-hmm. But I may want to go. I I, I kind of want to go through the Reflecto story too. Were you familiar with that? Yeah, I mean, I remember when it was coming out, and as the uh, Legion of Substitute podcasters call it, the Reflecto saga, saga, saga. <laughs> but I mean, the 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 different artists that they had all through that. I even, I think even Steve Ditko did an issue in there. If I remember right, I kept because it was one of the issues that was like um, Ultra Boy solo story. Mm-hmm. Um, as he was going through all of his stuff just just before yeah. or just around the time that that happened. It's been a long time. I haven't read those since they came out, so I could not tell you anything about it right now. <laughs> Rimbor, the Chainsman. I think that was the bad guy. Rimbor was always cool. I liked Rimbor. Yeah. Now, um, I've, I've, I've got to run out tomorrow, though to uh ollie's and because someone posted in the genius of john byrne forum uh that ollie's has spider-man the next chapter volume one trade for 7.99 well and, the, hmm? i keep seeing stuff about this ollie's and they are not out here on the west coast oh. uh, at least close to me so i'm a little bit jealous that y'all can get there and um maybe when you get there if you see something you think i like text me or call me and say, hey, should I pick this up? And I will definitely reimburse you. <laughs> I'll take a look. I'll tell you what I find. Because I got I got to run around tomorrow morning early yeah. for my wife to, to shop. So I'll, I'll have to make my way over there. 
So did you get any interesting uh, trades or omnis or? Well, uh, I had anything exciting over the holidays. I I mean, we've bought some things. My son has bought um, Superman Red and Blue, the first trade on that, and then is that from the nineties, Red and Blue, or is no, that? No, that's, from... that's just something real recent. Okay. I'm gonna turn around and take a look here. I have to turn my light on. And uh, hold on just a second. I'm gonna step away from my mic. Okay, okay, and okay. I can't hear you. Hold on just a second. Sorry, I take my headphones off so I couldn't hear you. So, uh, what this is, Superman Red and Blue, 2022 Eisner Award nominee for Best Anthology. And it's... Golly, this is, I mean, it is really a red and blue story. <laughs> it's very, very recent. I mean, it's just done done very recently. Um, the art reminds me a little bit of Steve Rude in some pages, and then it reminds me of the animation on uh, Invincible and other bits of, an- of of the artwork. And then it gets oh, it's a variety of artists, but they're very. It, it's all the the color is only red or blue. Mm-hmm. No other colors are used throughout the entire thing, and it's an anthology of stories. Huh interesting but he saw it and he just said no i gotta get that and then he also bought the one dark night series but he'd only found the first two issues and i finally found the third issue for him and then i came across my trade of rising stars by j michael straczynski the first one uh, born in fire and if you've never read rising stars i i'd say it's very well worth uh, worth your time okay uh really good um you know, it's it's one of those stories that gives a realistic take on superpowers. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they've got this one guy who is invulnerable, can't be hurt by anything. So he, you know, because his, his feelings are muffled, you know, he doesn't feel anything usually beyond, say, pressure. Doesn't feel hot or cold or, you know, much, much of anything else. So, uh the one thing, the, the senses that do work for him really well are taste. So he kind of overdoes it and, you know, gets kind of heavy. And um, then you see that someone slowly starts taking out the supers. And uh, it, it's, it's again, it's a, it's a pretty pretty decent story. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski can write, and I've always thought that he could write well. So I like that. Hmm. Anyway, that's, uh, you know, the, the things that, that I've come across just because, you know, my son was sitting there looking at stuff, and um, I, I ran with him out. We, we ordered the, the issue three through um, Collective, which is local uh, stores run by some friends of mine, and um, I, I ordered that third book for him, so they just uh, had, it, had it dropped off at their store, and I was able to finally pick it up this week. I don't like doing that, though. I typically don't like ordering something but uh, the, we've been looking for that One Dark Knight issue three for a while. We had one and two for, I, I don't know, a good six months. And just whenever the issue three came out, we didn't uh, see it at the store and never could find it in the wild. And so ultimately we ordered it and just got it. But me, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm incredibly selective about what I buy these days. Mm-hmm. Just... Um, you know, I mean, I there's one thing that I want, um, and I know where it is, 
and my birthday's coming up, so I've been hinting to my family. And what it is, is that last issue of Logan's Run with the Thanos oh. backup story. Mm-hmm. And I know a place that has it, I know exactly where it is, and I'm not going to say here, because <laughs> I don't want anyone to steal it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I, I'm fortunate in that there's multiple comic book shops within about five minutes of where I live. Because, you know, Collected's one, but there's another one just down a couple roads over called Pastimes. And then there's a place called Sci-Fi Factory. It's got several shops. And now there's Comic Book Warrior that's about 10 minutes away. And all these guys, you know, they, they know me. And some of them even listen to our show. So, you know, hey. Cool. <laughs> um, I know the, guys at Sci- the guy at Sci-Fi Factory listens to us. Um or he says he listens to us, and he mentioned one of our shows before, so he had to have listened to at least one of them. But uh, yeah, so that, that's one thing that I, that um, I'm looking forward to is getting that and completing my collection. And I might actually read that one too, since it's got that story <laughs> in it, because I've been able to find that story digitally, and I'm kind of curious. Oh, and I did actually start. Uh, you were going to say something. And then say, well, I hope you get it because uh, it'd be nice. Nothing else is nice to have the, all those seven issues. Yeah, well, Chris actually got the other ones for me all in one pack um, when we were we were at a convention, and they actually had them had them there. Oh, nice! And of course, they didn't have that one amongst it, so they, apparently he was able to get the originals there for a good uh, good price. Oh, nice! And so Great. I'm like, yeah. Well, you know, hey, yeah. and most of that's George Perez art, isn't it? Uh, the first five are. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, that makes me incredibly happy, but I, I wasn't going to read all of them until I got the last one, so I'll get the last one. I can actually sit down and read those. Well, you realize that the first five are of the movie, right. and, they, and the, the second two are really not good that closely related to <laughs> it at all. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you, having a Thanos story show up in there, and now it's like, the, isn't it the very first Thanos story? That's what, that's, that's what it is. That's why it's so rare. It has nothing to do with Logan's Run, though. It's completely just attacked on page filler. Well, it's like Machine Man in 2001, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there was something else that... Um, well, I'd like your opinion, and uh, all you guys that, that are listening, uh, if, if you want to write in and tell us, you know, you can tell us on Facebook. Um, Craig Hepburn is the forum admin for the, uh, the group admin for the genius of John Byrne, uh, Facebook group. And, you know, he's, he's kind of a friend, you know, we, we, we talk, we talk, um, on Facebook a bit about a lot of different things and we talk about different artists and such. Um, but his, he's very busy with his job and it doesn't give him much time to administrate, administer his, Facebook group, and there's a, a few complaints on it because uh, these bots are constantly putting spam in in the group. And Craig has asked if I wanted to go ahead and become an admin there, since you know it's like I've, I've been reporting all these every time I do it to Facebook, trying to get them to block it. You know, because mm-hmm. Craig just doesn't have time to sit there and, and go and do that every day. You know, he'll do it like once a week he'll get on there and clean off a bunch but you know they still keep coming back because he's got about 10,000 members in the group yeah and he doesn't know which ones are the bots and i i the thing is i i did let him know that 
any of them, any of the IDs that start with MD and then a name are, you know, fake IDs, bot IDs, or cloned IDs. And those are the ones that are typically, you know, posting these things. And a lot of them have joined within the last few months. So I just like I pointed at that, and he just said, "Well, would you like to become an admin?" <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Be careful what you do. And 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 the thing is, is like I'm sitting there going, you know. I wouldn't mind doing that. I wouldn't mind helping them out. But is it a, a conflict? I mean, because, and could I continue to hawk third degree burn in that group? Or would I have to stop just because, you know, I'm the admin of that group? I don't know. Mm. Mm. Am I, I don't know if you'd have to stop because. Am I thinking about this too much? I think you're a little overthinking okay, it. I'm overthinking as long That's, as it's, Yeah. As long as you're not like always, I mean, like if every other post you make is the podcast, then that might be a little bit. But if you're just sharing the podcast as you do or, or yeah. in your normal conversation, you know, I see stuff in other groups where the admins promote other things. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, as long as it's reasonable, I think you'll be fine. Okay. That's my thought. Yeah. Um, the, uh, don't become like those spamming bots. <laughs> well, no, and that's the idea is to just stop them, you know. Uh, what was it? Uh, the other thing was, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd put a post in there just a couple days ago. Um, wow. Oh. Um, I, you remember several months ago on one of our episodes, and I don't remember which episode it was, uh, I'd brought up the fact of how many different jobs Byrne had actually done. Um, in in his time on Superman, do you recall that at all? I remember talking about it, but I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember the full context of it. Well, or which episode? When when Byrne uh, wrote Man of Steel, he wrote a foreword in it, uh, a, a full page, where he talked about you know his youth and reading those you know threadbare or whatever you want to call them the, the the books that he read that had Superman stories in it that inspired him that, that made him want to read comics and eventually draw comics you know and write them and uh, he said he said as he was finishing up he says you know I always promise myself when I get on a new book to do a hundred issues and you know he'd never actually met that goal on any of the any of the books he's done. And I sat there and I thought about, I thought about it for a minute. And I said, that's not really true. Because, you know, like an inker, Joe Sinnott, you know, every book he does is, you know, one issue. And he does, he's done many, many, many of them. Mm -hmm. uh, and any just writer, Chris Claremont, has done many, many, many issues of, of books where he's been the writer. He's never been the artist or any other job. And, I mean, you can say the same thing for virtually every other position. Writer, penciler, inker, colorist, letterer, editor, so on and so forth. But how many jobs does Byrne do on each book that he works on? And in the time that he was working on the Superman books, you remember there was Man of Steel, there was Superman, there was Adventures of Superman, there was Action Comics, World of Krypton, World of Smallville, World of Metropolis. And in all those things, he wrote 67 total issues. He did pencils on 43 separate issues. And he did inks uh, you know, as a sole inker on six issues, meaning that he did 116 different jobs 
in working on 67 books. And then uh, when he did his second runaround, he did 95 different jobs. And I was just sitting there going, well, there, he did 100 issues. <laughs> yeah, I do remember, now that you bring that up, I do remember us talking about that. Are you bringing that up with something? Well, I, I posted a note about this in um, Third Degree Burn's Facebook group and then the Genius of John Byrne. And I have one person that says, ah, you're cheating there. He says, if he's writing it and drawing it, he's really just doing one job there. He's just working harder. And I, I really take issue with that. So so you're saying that each job counts as a as accounts towards an issue. So if he wrote penciled and ink, that's one one book that equals three books. Three is that what you're saying? Three jobs. I mean, in in even. But does it equal three issues? I I would say so. Chris Claremont worked on how many books X Men books, and every one of them counts as their own issue. You know, unless he wrote two stories in one book. That then that then that would count as two issues. Two jobs. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't agree with you. <laughs> well, again, you know, it's, I agree he does a lot of jobs. Yeah, but I don't agree that that means that if he if he was on a book for fifty actual issues and he wrote and drew it, that that equals to a hundred issues. That's that's to me that's fuzzy math. And that, I, I don't <laughs> I just, know. I, I, you know, the thing I is, don't agree if, with you if you just look at um, a guy who who's an artist, John Romita Jr. All right, and he just pencils for the most part. He 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 yeah, he's a good inker, but he hasn't really inked a whole lot. But he worked on fifty books. That's it. He worked on fifty books. He did fifty books where he did the artwork. But are you are you saying Byrne didn't do as much work? Because when I actually asked Byrne about this, and I asked him, you know, did you get penalized for multitasking? And he goes, No, I got paid for each individual job that I did. But that doesn't mean it's an individual issue that's a job that's totally different i know so, i know I but just, but you know tom orzachowski all he does is lettering uh-huh. and so he's lettered all those x-men books and god that's got to be the most ridiculous job there is because chris claremont knows how to write a lot of text that's right <laughs> but you know i mean if, if tom orzachowski was letter on say uh, many deaths of the batman the first issue i mean he would be writing two letters or, or what no four what two words get out and he would still get the same page rate or the same rate for doing the job that Tom Rzuchowski gets for doing an X-Men by Chris Claremont. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's that's hilarious to sit there and think about that. I, I think that's probably a page rate rather than a uh, a book rate, you know. Yeah. So he probably just got yeah. paid for one page. But, I, you know, the thing is, is that at some point you have to quantify it somehow for him. Uh, he says he would like, you know, wanted to work a hundred issues, but we're gonna just say no, no, at sixty-seven because, you know, that's it, sixty-seven, because he wrote sixty-seven, and does that even count? Because many of those, while he may have wrote them, he didn't do the penciling on every one of them. He only did pencils on forty-three. So, at what point do you say he gets credit for a full issue? <laughs> I think you're overthinking that too. I, I just I can't get with you on it, man. I know it's just a person works on a book. That's an issue, whether they do one job or or four. That's the one issue that they worked on, and that that that's what's credit. I just can't see that you're gonna. I was just trying say, to make if them... someone did four jobs on if he's a writer, plotter, inker, letterer, 
and he picked out the colors. That's five. That equals five issues for for issue number one. So you you just bump up his number. I think that's stretching it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brian. No, no. It, but it, you, it's it's a vet. if you want to give him credit and say that he's done you know a thousand issues on X Men because he did all those different jobs. Go for it, man. <laughs> well, again, I, I'm just I'm not with you. <laughs> I'm just trying to talk about Superman there because that's where he made the statement that he, you know, promises himself he's, you know, going to stand for a hundred issues. Yeah. But you know, again, everybody looks at things you know differently. I mean, again, yeah. you know, he he. Yeah. He, no, he I, did I, letter twenty issues of Generation. <laughs> <laughs> That that was but, one where he wore every hat except for colorist, and he doesn't do that because he's colorblind, partially colorblind. But uh, yeah. Anyway, it's just yeah. That, yeah, that's one of those things that you know it's like kind of. I don't know. I'm sitting there when sometimes in my job I get stuck with uh, tedious work. Uh-huh. When I'm doing tedious <laughs> work, the mind wanders. Yeah. And so stuff like that comes up, and, and that that subject just came to my my head for some reason. And so I, I even asked Byrne about it, you know, just the, 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 the pay aspect of it, because that's what someone called me to task on, saying that, you know, as writer and artist, he's only doing one job. I, I disagree with that myself. Uh, well, I disagree, too. I mean, no, a writer is a job in and of itself, as is being an artist and a, an inker and all that. I mean, they're different jobs, yes. Yeah, and, For sure. and so naturally... I posted some burn artwork with the, the that particular post, and it was uh, from the second Silver Banshee story. Mm-hmm. Because in that particular issue, Byrne happened to write the story, he drew the story, and he inked it. However, unlike other books where he wrote, drew, and inked, um, he drew this as though someone else was going to ink it meaning he gave it full, tight pencils. Because when Byrne usually writes, draws, and inks something, and I'll use Alpha Flight as a good example, he does kind of a penciling shorthand, mm. where mm-hmm. he knows he's not he's not going to put in the detail on the pencils because he's going to be able to you know fill it in with the ink. And we saw that, you know, we did see that in, in Alpha Flight pretty much, I think, through the entire, entire book before Bob Wyacek came on. And in Superman, the the thing was in the in the Superman books, Carl Kessel was doing the inks on the book, and he stopped at a certain point, and it was the issue before the Silver Banshee story. And I think Berm is expecting Kessel to ink it, so he did the full pencils on it. And you can tell by once he does the inks that it looks different than stories that he typically, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's like so I, I posted that image in there as uh, as the example. So I guess I was cheating there when I did that. If I'd picked any 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 other book where he penciled in inked, um, may not have been as pretty. But I used the uh, the the production page, not a colored page, as the example. If you look on the third degree burn form, you'll see it's in there, and it's basically Batman with the, his shirt ripped, and it's actually Superman underneath. Oh right, yeah. And he's yeah. going, oops. Yeah. Yeah, because he did. You can tell he did some really tight pencils on that, and the the inks look actually really good with a thin line, as as opposed to say when you look at his Alpha Flight and the 
the inks are a thicker line. But he he was in a different place emotionally when he was doing Alpha Flight, where he wasn't enjoying himself when he was doing Alpha Flight. He really was enjoying himself for the most part on Superman at this point. So, are you going to get the um, Hidden Years Omnibus, or do you have those still as a floppies? I, I've got them as floppies, but I'm going to get the Omnibus. Um I'm, I'm sitting there. You know, I mean, I, I don't get every omnibus. Uh, I don't have yeah. any of the Fantastic Four omnibus, uh, even though they're getting ready to put, or they have put out uh, the second one again in another printing. And I'm just like, ooh, because that's when it starts his run at two thirty-two. Because mm-hmm. the first one was the um, I, I think it may, actually I, again I, I could be wrong there, but because um, you know he worked a bunch of issues with Joe Sinnott and he even started writing he, 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 I guess it was 220 where he did his first Fantastic Four story where he wrote aside from that fan fiction he did uh, many years before mm-hmm. um, but uh, I mean so you know the, the as far as as far as the omnibuses go the, I'm, I'm getting really choosy about which ones I'm going to get I'd like to see a Blood of the Demon omnibus but I don't know if we're ever going to get one. I was going to ask David thought, if he heard anything. They didn't do that. I thought that came out, or at least as a like a trade. I think they've done a episode. trade, but I, I, I'd rather have. I want an omnibus. I don't want to, oh. you know, an epic collection or whatever. Um, let's see. Okay. Typing with one finger. We're going to have to um, go into some X Men hidden years because I don't. I don't think we've. Uh, t- well, we haven't touched on them in my time with you all, and I don't think you guys did. You and Tim did before, did you? Hidden years? Um, golly, I'm I'm trying to think because I feel like we did, um, but it just doesn't uh, didn't come out. I I've got a list here, and I'm gonna... or maybe you did like one one issue, maybe. Well, I think, I, I think what it is is that we've had um, a number of uh, you know like top five shows. Yeah, yeah. And let's see. I've got that, the the list of the shows that we've done, and I'm checking checking that right now to see. I don't I don't think it's it's been covered by a regular. But you know, it, it, it really does seem to ring a bell in my head. But we've been doing this for seven years, so I can forget something. Because um, I keep thinking there was something in one of the stories with Ashley from the Hidden Years that we read. That we had to refer well, to. Well, we refer to her a lot because of the Elswins. Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, the thing is, we recognized her because of Hidden Years. Yeah. And um, but I'm not, I'm not seeing it on the, on the list there. And I've yeah. And I don't remember where my list is. So. Well, this yeah. is something Tim gave me recently. Um, nope, nope. I don't see it. Don't see it on there. I don't think we have covered any of it. But and, and that's the thing, you know, the with the the changes that we're doing this year. Um, one of the things we talked about was doing some series, shorter series, uh, as an anthology, so we could cover like we've done, you know, how we've done X Men Elsewhere, and we've mm-hmm. gone through that in order. And it would be great to do a series like The Hidden Years, like that. It's only twenty-two issues. Twenty-two issues, yeah. Um, and for that matter, why shouldn't we do his original X Men run like that? <laughs> that would be interesting. That would be a lot of fun. That would be fun. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of a lot of different books, a lot of different series that we could sit there and do like that. 
um, just because you know a lot of the runs are shorter, you know, than than a lot of the other ones. Now we've done a good bit of X Men, and of course we did the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, so I mean we've we've got a little bit of good coverage there, and you guys did um, what one fifteen. Wing and then Fantastic Four two eighty four that one time you and David, mm-hmm. so we I mean mm-hmm. and then we did one forty three yeah for that was a Christmas episode, mm-hmm. Whew, a lot of fun, but uh, I mean there's a lot of books you I mean was, heck you could do Alpha Flight like that too. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm hoping that Kirk will do the Namor stuff because uh, we know he loves Namor. Yeah. It'll be great to hear. That's it. What he thinks. Of what um, Byrne did with Radnor. Have, uh, with, uh, have you watched Black Panther for Wakanda Forever? Not yet. Oh my gosh. Oh. I finally got to watch it. This I week. know. I got I to know. watch it. And I really, and I actually enjoyed this one more than the first one. Is that right? Okay. Um, what are the types of elements um, without spoiling anything for anyone else who, like me, I mean, you can spoil it for me, I wouldn't care. But maybe there's some folks, unless you want to put a spoiler alert. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything here in this one. Everybody knows that Namor is in it. Um, yeah. And I wasn't necessarily thrilled with the his characterization, but I understand it. And John Byrne's version could easily be worked into that uh, with what they did with him in this in this story. Um just you know, this is the first part. Now, I I would prefer you have the World War Two, uh, you know, the the pre World War Two and then the World War Two kind of uh, storyline with Namor, but that's out of the out of the the question now. Mm-hmm. Um, the as far as them adding all the um, the Central American mystique around him, uh, that didn't really actually cause me any trouble at all. Um, and then, of course, they had um, Namora and Atuma. Excuse me, Atamwa. Atuma. If it's not Atuma. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, I mean, the the other characters, of course, that we saw, you know, from uh, the first movie, of course, you know, Agent Ross was back. So Martin Freeman. And I, I, could, I could listen to Martin Freeman read the phone book. I like I like him as, a, as an actor. Um, and then the... Um, as you, I don't know if you heard or not, Angela Bassett was nominated for an Oscar for her role in this movie. Right. Yes, I did hear that. That's awesome. And so that's that's a huge first on a number of of different you know areas. So um, really, really interesting there, um, and really cool. Uh, it's you know the things I've I've got a a big problem with the first Black Panther movie, and it's for one plot point. And I'm assuming, you know, it's it's been several years, so everybody has had a chance to watch Black Panther. And yeah, I, may have, I may have talked about this on a previous episode, and if I have, that's, you know, fine. I like hearing myself talk. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, there's a point in the first Black Panther movie where he is, you know, he's in combat. Now, he was challenged to the throne. And earlier in the movie, we saw him be challenged by M'Baku, uh, otherwise known as Manape, for the throne. And in order to meet him in combat, he had to purge the uh, herb that they used to give him the Black Panther power, so he becomes mm-hmm. you know, normal normal strength. Um, and he fights M'Baku, he defeats him, and 
then becomes Black Panther once again. And then later, his, uh, well, Killmonger comes in and Killmonger challenges him for the throne. So they take away his powers. He gets in a battle. Killmonger is about to go in for a killing blow. And um, I don't even remember his uh, character's name. But, um, and all of a sudden, the actor's name is also eluding me right now. Um, Martin Freeman? No, Saw, the guy who plays Saw Gerrera in Star Wars. Um, uh, black actor, he's got the lazy eyelid. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, Winston. Um, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but see, I, I'm, I'm, this is one of those things where I'm going to go nuts until I can figure out his name. And it's someone that I, I, you know, it's like I talk about him all the time because he's a really, really good actor. So uh, I got to look it up and say it. Otherwise, I'm going to go nuts. And someone and people are screaming it into the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and into their, their earbuds or whatever. Um, where is it? Where is it? I'm looking at the list right here. And he is a oh, Forrest Whitaker. There you go. Forrest Whitaker. Whitaker. God, I don't know why I couldn't do it. But Forrest Whitaker goes in and blocks Killmonger's killing blow. And then, you know, he gets, you know, whatever for his trouble. And then Killmonger throws uh, T'Challa off the waterfall. And T'Challa survives. And then later is able to come back and fight Killmonger for, you know, the right. And he defeats him. And that's, that's it. But the thing is, is that he truthfully lost. I mean, he really, really lost. He should have been dead. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, if if he if he hadn't necessarily lost, but still, you know, got thrown over the edge because of somebody's interference or whatever, I would I, I wouldn't it, that that just bothered me so much. That little point that he actually lost. I mean, it's not like Rocky Three, but it. Actually, if you think about it a little bit, it is because he just had that internal conversation with his father to find out, you know, about Killmonger and his backstory. So that was had him messed up in the head. Holy cow. That's really kind of a crazy parallel when you think about it. Again, Ryan Coogler directing Creed. And so he was steeped in Rocky lore. So (laughs) again, I'm thinking about it too much. Why am I thinking so much about all this stuff? Why does it? It's just the way my mind works, but your mind, but that's how you do it. Now, the thing is, so in, in Wakanda forever, they don't actually have anything like that. That happens um, there. It, it's, it's much more, uh, I don't want to say black and white, but it's much more straightforward as how the plot rolls about and everything that goes into it. Um, and, all the characters are done really, really well. There, there's one in there that I kind of, you know, a little bit left or right, but still I found it to be a, a better movie than than the first one. And not just because of that point. Um, I thought the first one's a good movie, but not a great movie, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, again, Chadwick Boseman did an awesome job playing T'Challa. I enjoyed that. Now, he's not the... He didn't feel like the the T'Challa that I read in the comic books all, all you know for all those years. The one that was a member of the Avengers, the one that you know showed up in the Fantastic Four time and again. He didn't ever feel like that character, but I did like who he was in the comics, and that's to be expected because you know, frankly, over all the time that we had the Black Panther, he was 
mostly written by white guys, old Jewish men, you know? <clears throat> so, you know, let's let somebody that, you know, comes from there write about it. And that's that's what we got. And I mean, again, I thought they did a really, really good job. And they've made the Black Panther as popular as a lot of the other Marvel heroes. In fact, more popular in some cases. Still can't seem to get past those uh, Avatar numbers, though. <laughs> Can you believe the numbers that Avatar 2 is doing? No, I cannot. I'm just, I mean, wow. I mean, I saw the movie. I enjoyed the movie. I'll, I will own it when it's available to, to be purchased. But I'm not watching it multiple times like I did the first movie. The first movie, I was spellbound. We saw it in the theater several times. But, I mean, we've gone back to this world. And it is great. And the 3D was really, really good. In fact, the 3D kept me engaged the entire movie, which is unusual because usually the 3D only lasts for me about 10 minutes and then my mind just kind of lets it go, you know, where I don't even think about it the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. But in the, sec- in the second one, the 3D kept me so engaged that I kept seeing things all through the movie. And there was even one point where it looked like someone had stood up in front of me and got in my way. And I was about to say something to them. Hey, please get out of the way. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, no, that's just one of the characters in 3D, the way the way that that worked. It was really, really well done. So, I mean, technically it is such a, a really good film. The story was a, it was a better story than the first movie. But Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a better story than the first movie. But, I mean, that first movie had such a very... Um, simple plot line and now it's starting to get a little bit more excuse me in depth i'm I'm stifling a yawn for some reason i don't know why i'm yawning because i'm not tired but um yeah i mean it's just uh i again i liked it but i i'm just like is it two billion dollars worth of that though and, yeah. and people are just going to see it and again it's doing a lot of of big money overseas and i don't know if it's premiered in china yet i'm going to take a look here just uh to yeah it's it's two billion fifty six million one hundred eighty thousand seven hundred and seventy one one point four five billion of that is international six hundred million of that is u.s so that's what the ninth highest movie ever and it's three hours and 12 minutes long crazy but there was a a particular number I was wanting to look at yeah I was wanting to see if it um, if it's been in China yet because I think it'll start doing numbers I mean China was not going to let it play and then they finally decided to go ahead and uh let it uh, let it show. Okay, so it yeah it, is, it has been in China. It's done two hundred and twenty nine million. My goodness, in China so far, and yeah, it released uh it released yeah them, yeah because they they weren't gonna let um a lot of the Marvel movies that are coming out um release in the theaters. Uh, they kind of it started kind of doing an embargo in a lot of big movies. Um, I was gonna check on Doctor Strange in the multi in the multitude of was it. Is that right, though? In the Multitude of Madness? Yes. Or or Doctor Strange, The Multitude Multi- of Madness, I think. Yeah. And um, In the Multiverse of Madness. There you go. And, uh, of course, that one did $955 million, almost a billion. But, um, 
it doesn't tell me, it doesn't give me a breakdown of what it did internationally, it just did. Oh, wait, wait, here we go, here we go. Yeah, uh, no Chinese release, except for Hong Kong, but, uh, yeah, and it did 9 million there, but it didn't get a, a, a mainland China release, and that's, I mean, again, when you're dealing with magical characters, ghostly characters, and stuff like that, they really don't like to release that, so they block it. Whew. But again, Avatar at two billion and still going strong. I mean it's still number one in the theaters right now. And let me see what's um what's uh challenging this week. I don't even know what's new. Uh I don't uh, okay. So the release this week you've got close oh Elvis is going back to the theaters. Uh, Life Upside Down, Distant Fear, The Man in the Basement, Infinity Pool, Maybe I Do, and Blood. I haven't heard of any of these movies. But February 2nd, Groundhog Day, re-releases to the theaters. Are you going to go see it in the theater? You know, I, I love that movie. I, I, I have to watch it at least once a year around, around Groundhog Day. But I, I've got no urge to go and see it in the theater. It's it's like Christmas Vacation or um, a Christmas story. I'd rather just play in the background, you know, like like mm-hmm. have it on my TV that sits above the room here in my office and let it play all day long, so you get that sense of the over and over and over and overness of it. But uh, yeah, I don't think I'd see that. I'd go to see that in the theater. Next thing we see in the theater will be Quantumania. But. Uh, you know, now it, you know, we've been talking with uh, Kirk, and Kirk is like, you guys need to get brushed up on your Kang history. Because I don't really know. I, I mean, I've never really read a Kang story. Yeah, I read a few when he showed up in, like, the Avengers, like, around the Celestial Madonna period. Uh, like, so that was, like, 130s, early 140s. And occasionally he showed up here and there, but... I never really understood the character, so I always hated when this when it was him. It just seemed like it was like okay, do I whatever the, the they made him be whatever they needed for the story, and it was never consistent with the character himself. So and, and I was always confused. Now, do I understand this right? Kang is or was or will be um, uh, Ramatut and Immortus. Yes. He's he's Ramatod, he's Immortus, he's Kang, he's Tony Stark, he's I, I don't. I, but I just, thought he was a, de- a descendant of Nathaniel Richards, Reed Richards' father. Uh, and maybe that too. Well, because I mean, in, in see at this point that's something that I I think it probably came out after Burn Left X or uh, Fantastic Four when they brought in Nathaniel. Well, and I had well, in the, in the, by then I had stopped reading Fantastic Four. In the issue that Burn wrote, where Reed Richards went off into into that area to find his father and he did find his father at the very end of the issue there is a, a an epilogue where it shows a descendant of nathaniel's taking something and you know traveling through time and it then says yes this is the origin now, i'm going to find that right now because uh i want i want to make sure i'm not talking out of my backside <laughs> no you're probably right it's just the whole Kang and Mortis thing was just always too hella confusing for me. And I, the thing is, I'm pretty sure it's been retconned or changed, or you know, someone's done something on it to 
you know, to change it completely. Um, mm-hmm. Our chat window keeps getting in my way. But I, I don't know uh, specific. Was it before or after? I'd say it was probably before the trial of Galactus. So it'd be in like 1983. And uh, there's the Nihilus. Uh, in the negative zone. Was it before or after the negative zone? I feel like it should be after that. The, the Nathaniel Richards thing? Yeah. Yeah, that was like towards the end of his run, wasn't it? Well, yeah, so uh, let me move. Like way up in the like 290s. Well, I don't think it was that late, but let me take a look. Oh, yeah, here, here, I found it. Um, was it the end of 273? Okay. See, now that's... Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, epilogue, the year 3000, the glorious age of enlightenment, the century, is peace, a century of peace in progress, the ultimate in civilization and culture. And some guy is sitting there watching, uh, looks like, Watching a TV, but it's in the four three one aspect ratio. I don't think this is the right future. <laughs> and uh, he finds uh, finds himself going off someplace, and it's funny because he looks like a, a Ben Grimm. That's not the thing. The image that he's got for him, and he finds the Sphinx. Looks like it's it's a time machine, and takes off in it. And then there's an asterisk down at the bottom. You know that he he will gain the 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 scientific knowledge will make him the absolute ruler of mankind and it says as longtime readers are bound to be surprised by the revelation uh though newcomers may be confused but worry not for all will be made clear in an upcoming avengers saga so it doesn't state that he's the one that becomes you know ramatut or kang or all that but it does look to, look to be that way and I don't know what saga he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, I think Roger Stern was actually writing the Avengers. But, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Roger Stern, you know, got got into that story. But I, I don't think I was reading Avengers um, regularly at this time. I was just picking and choosing which episode ish- issues I read. Uh, that was a double-sized issue that was going on then, 250. Anyway... But that's uh, that's what I yeah I, I remember hearing that you know or reading that and thinking okay so this has got to be relation to Kang, and it's basically saying that Reed Richards is an indirect ancestor of Kang's. Whew. Well, that one was fun. <laughs> See, we need John to sit there and tell us what's coming out that's interesting. You mean uh, David? David, yeah, I said yeah. John, didn't I? Yeah, he's got his um, fingers on the pulse of all that stuff, so that's really cool. Yeah, I thought he was going to slow that down, but I guess not. Yeah. Hey, so you follow the Burn Robotics pretty closely. Is he yeah. being active on there since his uh, retire his semi retirement? Uh, and uh, has he ever, has he indicated when he might be talking about any of the uh, plot lines? Uh, where he might have intended they go? No, he, he he's definitely a lot less active than he had been. Um, he'll sit there and, you know, throw out the occasional news story link, um, like, like you know, this last week that, and this is one, something we should probably talk about, uh, they moved up the doomsday clock from 100 seconds to midnight to 90 seconds to midnight, mostly because of the... Uh, the conflict in the Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, he'll he'll put links like that, you know, out there. And he a- answers questions, you know, directly if you ask him a question. Like I'd asked him a question this week about, you know, getting paid for multitasking. And he answered that. And someone asked him just uh, the other day about the Beast. Uh, actually, it was today. He says, hopefully, in mm-hmm. Ed Fahey said, hopefully an easy one for you. If you had been offered the Beast during your original X-Men run, would you have taken him into group? And would you have left him furry or changed him into something else? And Byrne says, my preference is a non-furry version. And the consensus at the time was that he was rendered redundant in the group by Nightcrawler. So, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he he does respond to some things um, sometimes a little bit more uh, robustly than, than other questions. Some questions, his answers are yes, no. And if and yeah. if you ask an either or question, he'll just say yes. Uh-huh. Never ask either or. Always ask, you know, directly. Um, but he hasn't been like starting a lot of uh, a lot of regular discussions. Um, what was the? Excuse me. Um, but then in, in like there's a TV forum and there's a movies forum, and like in the TV forum there's a what it you know what disc did you have in last. And his TV edition, and he'll either get on that one or what you know movie. What was the last movie you watched? You know, get on one of those two, and he'll talk about you know what what he what he's watching that evening. He always makes a note of it. Like last night, he watched the Last Action Hero, which he really really enjoyed when it first came out. Though all these years later, he watches it and can see some of the barnacles, but it's still uh, an interesting story, an interesting an interesting movie. I find it to be interesting also. I loved it when it came out. So um, I'm going to just bump you back a little bit. What do you think about that Beast question? Would you like to have seen the Beast in uh, the X-Men? Do you agree that Nightcrawler made him redundant? Do you want to see furry, blue furry Beast from Avengers or uh, non-furry Beast well, uh, like he did in Hidden Years? You know, it's it's so funny. Um my first real experiences with the X-Men, it, it, I mean, and it all kind of blurred together. It's funny. A, a buddy of my brother's, a guy by the name of King Hoover, gave me a big stack of comic books for my birthday, my 13th birthday. And in there, I mean, there was Spider-Man, there was Batman, which I love those books. And uh, then there was a reprint, um, uh, Amazing Adventures, and I think it was issue five. And it was a reprint of the the first uh, X Men fight with the Blob back at mm-hmm. back in the Lee and Kirby days. Yeah. And then he gave me also X Men one thirty two, which is you know the X Men fighting the uh, uh, Shaw's group, Hellfire Club, and in the Inner Circle. And you know I looked at the cover to that one, and I was just like, I don't see anybody here I recognize or like, and I just. And it wasn't an interesting cover in my mind. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, the X-Men in a pile on the floor, and I had no idea who any of them were. I'd never heard of Wolverine. Right. This is like around, what, 79, 80? Or 19, was like 1980. Yep. And so I didn't, didn't read that book. And then one day I was bored, and I looked at that cover, too, of The Amazing Adventures, and I saw the, the blast coming out of Cyclops' eyes, and hitting the blob, and I was like, 
hey, that's kind of cool. The guy can shoot th- shoot that from his eyes. I wonder what that is. And so I read the mm-hmm. I read that reprint. I read the, the Amazing Adventures, and I really enjoyed it. And of course, that's the first time I got to see Beast. You know, Hank McCoy as the you know, it's just a guy, and he was very loquacious, you know, using very large words and, and all that, and I thought that was interesting. And then after I finished it, I was like, hey, look, there's there's Cyclops. He looks a little different, but that's Cyclops on the other book. Well, I'll read that one now. And I opened it up, and of course, the first page is Angel at the Airy in Colorado, and Burn in Austin. And I'm just looking at this, and I go, like, I have never seen comic book art that looked like this except for maybe that issue batman the joker's five-way revenge which was neil adams though i didn't know that it was neil adams at the time i just knew that that was really good art and it it made the one made me think of the other anyway so i like i was just spellbound by this and of course within a couple issues the beast comes back and he's blue and furry and my 13 year old self couldn't reconcile that one was the other i didn't i didn't really think of him as being that same guy be not only because he was blue and furry, but he didn't talk like that beast. He wasn't being written like that beast. Chris Claremont never wrote him, you know, that way. In fact, is David Michelinie didn't write him that way either. When Michelinie or even um, Jim Shooter were writing him in the Avengers, he was the funny guy. He wasn't the the other smart guy there, you know. And Hank McCoy didn't start talking like Hank McCoy again until the Simonson run on X-Factor. And they brought back, uh, they, they turned him human, but they turned him stupid. And then he became the blue furry beast again. And then he, you know, got his intellect back and he was just basking in it, you know. Did you even, did you read the X-Factor books? I did for a little while. Um, and then... I was in the military at the time and all overseas often, so a very limited space and very hard to get them when you're, you know, uh, around the world. So I uh, kind of just stopped reading them. And I think uh, at some point I just I I was really excited when they first came out, but then uh, I just couldn't keep up with them. And then I. Then it just got into that weird Cameron Hodge stuff, and I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, okay. the, the, it just it, got bizarre. So. The era... There was a flawed, flawed concept from the beginning. Yeah, well... Oh, hey, Kirk. Well, well, I mean, the concept was interesting. Kirk, welcome, welcome. Uh, Thank you. The, the, I mean, the idea that they were basically mutant hunters, you know, they were using that as the guys to go out and, you know, capture mutants and actually, you know, help mutants was kind of interesting, but the way that Hodge and others were representing them made them look like, you know, the mutant busters, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, every issue, that was the, you know, one of the conflicts that was going on, and then they finally revealed themselves to be the original X-Men, to be mutants, and they said, no, no, we're just trying to help mutants. But the book, at that point, that's when the book was starting to go that with Cameron Hodge for one, and then the Apocalypse storyline just completely turned me off. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, around that same time, we were dealing with the Mutant Massacre, and then for X-Factor, I think it was Inferno. That was yeah. one of the storylines. I was just done at that point. Oh, no, the Inferno line um, bled over into X-Factor, but it was an X-Men storyline. Well, yeah, I mean, and all the others, you know, Apocalypse was also X-Men, as well as the Mutant Massacre. 
Um, but I mean, and it, it chased me. Those those storylines, uh, the mutant massacre was one thing. I think I, I pretty much stayed in there for that. But when um, the Mister Sinister came to the X Men books, yeah. I, I I was so losing interest in in everything there, but the art was chasing me away. I was out at that yeah. point too. I was like, and, and the stories, okay. you know, it just Claremont needs writers that are are storytellers, you know, and if he doesn't have a storyteller working with him, then the stories just kind of meander. Uh, that was the great thing about John Romita Jr., Paul Smith, John Byrne, Walt Simonson. You know, even Al Milgram, you know, they're, they're, these guys are storytellers and they know the, a good flow of a story and they can, they can give Claremont something to work with. But, you know, he, when he's sitting there writing these scripts for Mark Silvestri, Silvestri just is putting mannequins on a page and pointing in one direction or another. But he's got no action, no, mm-hmm. no flow to the story. And that just, yeah, that was yuck. And then the Australia thing, I, I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. I didn't. <laughs> Siege Perilous. Yeah. That was basically an escape clause that they never really explained. It was just a matter of swiping all the pieces off the chessboard. Yeah, it was a way to reset it and kind of reboot stuff uh, without doing a whole new reset, reboot thing like a crisis or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, that was kind of a weird little direction, and I, and I wonder if that was due to Silvestri or Ramita. I think Ramita Jr. was on the book at the time no, as well, no, or was it he, just Mark Silvestri? Ramita got pulled off the book years before. Oh, okay. Um, he wanted to stay on the book, but Jim Shooter uh, pressured him to uh, be the artist on Starbrand. Uh-huh. And so Ramita Jr. walked away from X-Men because of that and well we see what happened there and you know by the time he got back they're like no no we're going to stick with this artist and um, he went to Daredevil but hey I got no problem with Daredevil Uh, and Nichente's writing notwithstanding the artwork was beautiful all the time that Romita was working on it Um, that was you know I mean a lot of people are, are very critical of you know his artwork, but uh, I really loved the the period where he was doing the pencils and like Al Williamson was doing the inks. And um, like if you read the the Daredevil, the Man Without Fear, it was uh, Frank Miller's retelling of Daredevil's origin, and it was a full retcon of of everything that uh, he'd written in his earlier run. But uh, still very, very good. And and uh, Ramita's art throughout that I thought was uh, stellar. Mm-hmm. Whereas I thought his X-Men art was hurt a little bit by... I, I don't think he and Dan Green were on the same page, pencil and ink-wise. So his, his, his pencils didn't come out very good under Dan Green. Whereas when he had Bob Wyacek or... Uh, other anchors working on them, or his father working on them, they they you, you usually turn out pretty pretty decent work. But some of his X Men work, especially around issue two hundred, suffered a bit under Dan Green. But that's just my opinion. I could be wrong. You're not. Hmm. So did I miss Tim? No, no, no. Yeah, he he said earlier that he was going to be on, but I think maybe, um, you know, he uh, wasn't feeling good. After right. the events of earlier today, and I won't say anything more on right. that because that's his personal business. 
Right. But, uh, so I think I think he's probably just sleeping it all off. Okay. Well, that's understandable. Um, I just got home, didn't have access to Skype till I got home, so I knew I wasn't going to be uh, involved in it. So have the two of you have been visiting all this time and recording all this time? Well, I've been talking, and yes, he's sir. been saying, yes, 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 please shut up, Brian. Please shut up, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> what are you drinking? Oh, I'm drinking Michelob Ultra with uh, uh, spicy V8 in it. I'm on my second so one. This must, this must be a comics and cocktails, then. Mm-hmm. And we've talked. We've talked a good bit of comics, and we talked about how I think about things too much. <laughs> and yes, yeah, I'm talking, and he's yawning. So there we go. I'm yawning because it's been a long day, a long week. It's almost one a.m. for Mister Kirk. There. That's right. Yeah, we're only about five minutes short of that. Now, you know, is the weather up there? I mean, how cold is it up there? Amazingly enough, we're at forty degrees. We have. Some broken sky, so we ought to be able to see that green comet if I would go outside oh. and take a look. Um, it's probably the best viewing night that we've had for quite some time. Not terribly cold, um, but we'll see. It's going to rain come Sunday, so I I don't know. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing it, but uh, the closest pass, not the, necessarily the best viewing, but the closest pass to Earth will be February the 2nd, Groundhog Day. <laughs> so that's a week away. So. And that thing is green. Is it kryptonite? No, it's just the uh, the, the uh, way the light refracts. Yeah. You can find a lot of stuff online about it. Everybody's excited about it, but nobody gives you a really good map of exactly where to look. I mean, exactly where to look. They tell you, oh yeah, between the North Star and the Big Dipper on you know February the second, but they they're not real good about telling you this night it'll be here and this night it'll be here. And you know, I've only seen that chart once. Yeah, in the last and, month, and I was hearing basically between the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. So, right, I mean, right. it, th- that's where it's going to pass. That so. should be a good good area to keep an eye on. But uh, you, you you have to have some kind of uh, you know like like binoculars or a good telescope. Binoculars would probably be better because they give you a wide wider angle view of it if you've got a strong enough set. At this point, I believe it's supposedly or will be very shortly visible to the naked eye. But the trick is you don't stare at where you think it is. You look off to the side just a little bit, and you let your peripheral vision pick up the hazy tail. And that's how you confirm that you know where it's at. I mean, that that's it's a real subtle thing that doesn't make sense until you're outside and you actually try it. And you'd be amazed at how much better your night vision is when you're not staring right at something. But, you know, your side vision, it doesn't have to be by much, but you can pick it up. It's its really quite spectacular that you can see all sorts of faint stuff. That's also the way that our vision works, how we pick up, uh, you know, an animal sneaking through the dark or coming to ambush us from the side. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why that works so well. Not that that's going to happen, but, you know, evolution-wise, at night, our side vision is is uh, superior for picking up movement and subtlety. Huh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. No, no, no. I mean, that, that's interesting. And of course, I, I, I might ask my brother if he's going to look at it, because my brother lives out in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. Excellent. Yeah. As long as he's got clear skies. Go for it. Yeah. So you know, hopefully, you know, he 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 be able to, and he's got a great 
uh, high power binoculars that uh, my dad gave to him when my dad got back from. That's good, ex- except you have to have a pretty good idea where you're looking yeah. at, and and when you zoom in with binoculars, you're basically expanding the light that is fuzzy and may be unfocused. So it, it, it's a blessing and a curse. It, they're not necessarily the best things unless you're dead sure where you're looking at. Yeah, that's true. That's true. This uh, this pair of binoculars, uh, my dad had it. Um, now, when when uh, I was in my early 20s, my parents lived in Ankara, Turkey. Mm-hmm. And they, they right. lived in a penthouse of this, of this one apartment building. And my dad had gotten those binoculars, and you could sit there and just see all around the city. And you could watch just life going by out there. Uh, just uh, amazing the things that you could see. And uh, we call that a peeping Tom. Yeah, that, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't put that past my dad. Uh, but and the thing is, because there was other apartments that were right there, you know, maybe about sure. uh, a good, you know, thirty yards away um, in various directions. But there was mountains over on one side, and there was. Just the city of Ankara sprawled out um, wow. from from their their ma- They have this massive window on one side of the apartment, and then there was a balcony that looked over that same same thing. And just the the lights from every place. It's I mean, you know, it's it's Ankara, Turkey. It's as close to middle. It's Middle East, but it's close to Europe. But uh, it, it it wasn't a shanty town, but it wasn't far off. You know. Yeah. But just seeing the lights at night in a place like that, it was just, I don't know how to say it other than comforting to just sit there and watch it. Well, uh, I can tell you when I moved to Salt Lake City, um, I was impressed with the lights at night in the valley, having been in an apartment complex that was halfway up the foothills. And that was a real thrill for me. And any time that anybody came to visit us, in Salt Lake City, I always made a point of taking them up to the lookout to overlook the valley. I guess I was more impressed than other people were, but it's like having been born and raised in Michigan, where it's relatively flat except for the ski resorts, mm-hmm. you know, being in a mountainous area in the Intermountain West, it was like, whoa, this is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I always liked my time in Utah. The year that I spent there, I look back on as one of the best years of my life. Uh, in part because of the skiing, in part because of the vis- the vista, because it was an adventure, because it was something new. And uh, I liked my job, I liked my boss, and I wish to God I'd stayed. But that's another story. Uh, we didn't. So the things we do for love. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was going to tell you something else, but it, it slips in my mind. I can't remember what it is. If you guys have been recording for two hours, you're probably just about talked out. Well, we've we've been talking about. I mean, we've gone over a wide variety of subjects, um, but I'm kind of curious. You know, and one of the things we did talk about was the uh, Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Ah, uh, haven't seen it. But, I mean, I mean, and you know, of course, who's in it, right? Well, Angela Bassett. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Got her Oscar nomination this week. That's amazing. But I'm yeah. talking about Prince Namor. Oh, oh yes, I understand. I, sorry, I, I'm not real familiar with the plot line, but I guess the animosity between Atlantis and, and Wakanda 
is a fairly recent development, and so it seems foreign to me. I don't I don't think of the two kingdoms um, in the same you know mindset, but I guess I should. I haven't seen the movie, and I I guess I'm not. Maybe it'll be on Disney Plus, but I'm not terribly. Yeah, I think motivated it comes out next it. week on Disney Plus, so you yeah. should be able to watch it there. I mean, Namor is is I mean he's different. He's Mexican, isn't he? Well, yeah, he's Central American. Okay. Um, uh, interesting interpretation. Yeah, it's an inter- interesting interpretation. It's it's a, a little different from what we had you know read over the years, but you know it makes sense. Um, that they would that they would do that. I, I I didn't have any problem with that, and li- like I said, his characterization was um, a little a little different than what I expected. But I think that they can still use John Byrne's explanation for it all. Because how do you mean well, his explanation? Uh, well, I mean the the explanation that John Byrne put in the first issue of Namor yes. was that. Because he was the mix of human and Atlantean DNA, or you know, blood, yeah, that he had an imbalance that would cause. Basically, he was like a, a, a polar uh, bipolar. Yeah. As a result, that he would never even out, and so Caleb would come up with a process that would even out his blood flow, and so therefore he would be calm and you know not necessarily angered to fight against the surface dwellers and then all of a sudden happy to be their friends and fight against the Nazis or, you know. Yeah. Uh, all... I always thought that was a pretty good explanation for how wildly the character was written. Yeah, exactly. In one swing or another. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, and, and they can still use that. They can still yep. use that. And, I mean, this right here is just the first story. I wish that we could have gotten the whole, you know, Namor from the 30s and 40s and fighting with the invaders and all that, but uh, nope, that's not in the cards now. No. Not in this current iteration. But it looks like I, I keep hearing that they're going to reboot the MCU after the next Avengers storyline. The, after the Star oh. Wars. Quadromania is about to come out next month, <laughs> isn't it? Quadrophenia? <laughs> Wait. No, Quantumania. Right, I was close. I know. I, I, it made me think of Quadrophenia, though. Yes, yeah. What was that? See, now all of a sudden I'm like... That was an album by The Who. That's right, and it, they actually made a movie, too, didn't they? Uh, well, if you can call it a movie, a rambling, pointless plot. Um, not really a plot at all, but a, a string of, of scenes where somebody just, you know... Yeah. A, yeah, they made a movie. <laughs> but yeah, and, uh, you're right. You're right. Um, it's, it's it's and it's got like a what's the rating? On? There is no rating on it. No, no, there is. Yeah, I'm sure there is. I remember seeing parts of it on cable in the '80s, and I've got to tell you, I wasn't impressed. Can you tell? Yeah, you know, you know the, the music of the Who is the music of the Who, and it'll always be special because of that. But the movie doesn't hold any particular attraction uh it's not like it's got any stars it's not like it's got any tremendous plot development or or real emotional payoff um you know it's a uh, a shiftless kid i think he's british uh who doesn't have a role in life who doesn't have a a, a, a purpose for how, how to get out of bed today that just goes from one 
scene to another, to a conflict, to a music concert, to uh, screwing some girl in an alley. Uh, to, you know, it's just a string of a, a pointless kid who's got no direction. Oh, and, and that's my review. <laughs> it's got an IMDb rating of 7.2 out of 10. Now, that is actually a high rating. Is that, is that because of the music? Probably because of the music, but also probably because the majority of the people that are watching it are in those aimless teens and 20s years. Or high. Yeah. Or they're people that really did watch it back when they were in their teens, and this is their way of reliving that era. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) So, uh, speaking of Ant-Man, the Wasp, and Kang... Mm -hmm. Uh, do we know anything more about this upcoming movie that's going to be released soon? Except it's the first volley of the next phase. Well, and that, and that's the thing. You know, I, I've I've purposely avoided getting too much information. Okay. So so I, you know I don't know much. And, and John and I did our, have our discussions about Kang. Now I want to ask you a question though, and that is, you read Burns Fantastic Four run, right? Oh, yes. And that issue 273, I think it is, where uh, Reed has followed his father to the planet that he's now on. And at the very end of the story, you have a descendant of Nathaniel Richards stealing into the Sphinx time machine and uh, going off. So is that is that to say that a descendant of, Re- of, of Nathaniel Richards is Kang Immortus Ramatut? All that? I would say yes. Uh, I don't remember it clearly, but if that's how Byrne played it or he implied it, yes, that's Byrne's interpretation. Now, whether they've ever done anything about that or picked up the thread, I can't tell you. But, um, you know, I think it was a radical shift that uh, perhaps... Kang was coming as a descendant of Reed and Reed's father um, instead of being a descendant of Dr. Doom. Mm-hmm. So that kind of switched switched the the, um, the connection. Um, but that doesn't, it didn't mean a whole lot except to just kind of be a little bit of a surprise, a little bit of a slap in the face like, oh, I guess we don't know all the history and all the connections. Well, it's, it says at the very end of it, it says that... Um you know, all will be made clear in an upcoming Avengers saga. And this oh. is around the time of Avengers 250. So, I, again, I wasn't really reading avidly the Avengers at this point in time. I was picking and choosing. So I, I yeah. don't know, you know, what happened in the Avengers, if there was an actual storyline that did pick that story up. I think Roger Stern was writing the Avengers around that time. Well, in that case, what you're talking about is the uh, Cross-Kang War um I just read the Wikipedia summary of it this afternoon. Oh. I just read, uh, because I can't remember those three issues terribly clearly, but when I read the summary, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I remember. I got this drift. But I would really like to sit down and read it, because you have basic different various versions of gang fighting amongst themselves and trying to eliminate whole-scale... Uh, you know, dozens and dozens of, of variations on themselves, whether they eliminate them or wipe them out or trim off the timeline, however you want to say it, they're all struggling to become the one main prime king. And to some degree, they do or do not 
succeed. But and it got a little bit confusing because you got three figures of Kang drawn in the same panel. It's like, wait a minute, which, which one is is the first one that was saying this last? Uh, you know, they needed to do a little better job, I think, of saying, well, this is Kang red, this is Kang blue, this is Kang yellow. Oh, he killed, you know, Kang yellow. Now we just have red and blue left. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. It wasn't distinguished quite enough. I think it was a an ambitious concept that that maybe the artist needed to do more work to differentiate different um, variations so you'd remember which one was which. But again, I haven't read it in like 20 years or more. Yeah, now this this so, was a, a, in the Roger Stern run. Roger Stern, John, John Basima, and Tom Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. Starting at, at uh, Avengers 267. There so, you go. And, and that's why I, I'm not surprised. Has it been reprinted? I don't know. I I question whether it has been. Uh, maybe it's in a Marvel Masterworks. But I'd love to reread it. I mean, I'm not going to dig it out of my floppies. But, I, you know, to get some background on Kang and what they did with him, I wouldn't mind a primer just to go through the various Kang uh, stories. Hmm. Okay, well, that's, I mean, might be able to help you there. We'll see. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really intrigued um, by, by the Quantumania uh, trailer, the ones that I've seen. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what more they do with Scott Lang's character because he's one of those that definitely, you know, I mean, you sit there and you think about all that he accomplished so far. I mean, he's single-handedly responsible for them being able to get the Infinity Stones. How so? He was the one that realized that the the Quantum Realm has uh, different pathways through time. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't know how they're going to write the story, how they're going to plot it out, but I have great fear about his future. I'm not sure that uh, Scott Lang is going to survive this. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have anything. I'm not basing that on anything except for maybe an article that I read or something. And, you know, the stuff that I'm reading pops up. It's clickbait on uh, on Microsoft, whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't trust any of that stuff to be accurate or complete. Maybe it's accurate, but it's never complete. It, it just seems like it's being written by acts to increase interest in different properties. Yeah, well, I'll tell you this. Uh, if you don't want to be spoiled on Guardians of the Galaxy, don't look at any of the posters. And okay. I'll tell you why. Because if you watch, if you look at the uh, materials around the first movie, you'll notice just how grouped figures into the uh, original posters and everything. And the, even the, the logo is very grudish. Um, if you look at the ones to the second Guardians movie, you'll realize that Yondu is the one that's basically got those features, and it, the logo seems to be more related to Yondu. And if you look at the stuff that's come out on this one, a certain character seems to be highlighted. Okay. So, and you know, if you don't want that spoiled, then you know. Don't look. For yeah, it. and I mean the thing is, there's two characters. It seems like that they they both could go in this one, and so we'll, we'll see. see. I'm looking forward to it. I want to see Will Poulter as as uh, Adam Warlock. 
So we'll see how... Oh, God, is that what they're doing? Well, Adam Warlock is going to be in it. Well, ever since they introduced... What was her name? Uh, <laughs> the actress who, who was the the golden... Um, yeah. Golden whatever, premiere of whatever. I kept waiting for them to say, oh, this is going to evolve into him. This is going to evolve into Warlock. And it's like, I've been waiting and waiting for that. And it's like, shit. Yeah, because finally... at the last movie, at the very end, she said, I'll call him Adam. It was it was oh. in a, it was in a, the one of the end, end cap post scene, yeah, post credit scene. He okay. was still in a gestation chamber. Oh, okay. I guess I don't remember that clearly. Yeah, so he'll be he'll I, be in this one. I hope they don't go down the path to become warlock because I detest that character. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's a fait accompli. It's it's already Marvel history that they took him and they they warped him and changed him and you know did whatever they did with him, and it just became... Um, about the third issue of The Power of Warlock, it was so distasteful to me, so it was so clearly a parody of uh, either Jesus Christ Superstar <laughs> or, you know, re- religious symbolism with... Uh, who am I thinking of? Man-Wolf and Counter-Earth and and uh, the the... The high evolutionary. I just jettisoned it. It's like I can't stand this. Was that Jim Starlin? I think he came later. Uh, this was, I think, Gil Kane's artwork. Mm. I don't know who was writing it, but there's a, there's a Marvel Masterworks that collects all of that, and I'm proud to say that it's the one that is not on my shelf. <laughs> so, not interested in it. But that's that's just my opinion. I just. Can't stand it. I understand that Starlin did wonderful stuff with it, and that it ties into you know Captain Marvel and and Thanos and uh, the Destroyer and and Pip and the Troll and Gamora and and wonderful stuff. I've heard that it's wonderful stuff, but it's like I was out of comics during that time period and didn't really get back into it. Well, yeah, I never I never really went for any of the Marvel cosmic stuff at all. I, I just yeah. I, I the only um, experience I had with like Adam Warlock was the one issue of Marvel Team Up that he showed up in that uh, John Byrne drew. Who's he teaming up with? Spider Man? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember it clearly, but I I understand what you're referencing. Yeah, again, it wasn't to me. It wasn't a memorable story. Yeah, right. But it's the flavor of the week of the month. Yeah. But I know that, that Starlin did a lot with uh, with Warlock. In fact, he was actually the writer artist of a, of the series back in '75. Jeez, maybe that's the period. I don't remember. I would have been in college '74. Yeah, '74 through '79. Um, that's where that would have hit. I just, it's a blank to me. I just. No feeling. It's one of those things that's really funny because issue nine is the premiere issue. How how does that happen? What was it before? What do you mean? Issue nine is the premiere issue? Well, oh, oh. yeah. It was probably a different series before, and then they just changed the, uh, the title. Oh, no. Issue number. eight was The Power of Warlock. There you go. And um, he had a different costume. He had that costume that had the big shoulder things pointed out, and it's got the lightning bolt down the middle. Yeah. And and it's red with gold pants. But um, when you go to issue nine, 
that's where he is dressed up in the, the Adam Warlock regalia with the big WWE uh, belt around his waist. It looks that sort of looks like. And uh, well, maybe that's where Starlin took over. Yeah, that I don't that know. is where he took over. Because okay. uh, so the prior eight issues, I found totally distasteful. Bob Brown so and Thomas up. Sutton were the um, the artists on on that. So I mean, Bob Brown, I, I don't I don't recall his name at all from stuff that I've that I've read. And but Gil Kane did the first couple issues though, uh, right? Like issues one through five, he did. Boy, that's there you go. Yep. That was enough to drive me yeah. away. Don't get me wrong. There are some Gil Kane stories that I like that I just, they, they shine in my memory. And then there's other stuff that just, ugh. Well, you know, I mean, Gil Kane was, was just the artist. The actual writer for those first couple issues was Roy Thomas. Right, right. And and I think I've read at the beginning of the Marvel Masterworks where he talked about what his inspiration was and what he tried to do. Um, so I probably read the, that that background, but I you know I don't own a copy of that masterwork anymore. Thank God, sold it all. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I was thinking about when I bought it, but I I enjoy those introductions that that that, that they have various people write, and some people get a lot more insight into the creation of it, and then others that just recite issue numbers and the villain of the week, and you know. I always enjoy hearing Roy Thomas's description of the background of, of how things were evolved or, or developed, hmm. which leads me to another topic. What's that? Um, we may have already covered this. Or if you don't want to go down this, this tangent, let me know. I had recently asked the question, at what point did Roy Thomas suddenly say, hey, you know what? We're going to make the background of the vision be the original Human Torch. He's really the original Human Torch revamped. And I discovered that when I asked that question online, in fact, I'm asking the wrong question because it wasn't Roy Thomas that came up with it. It was Neil Adams, from what I hear, who started laying the clues. And Thomas was like, mm, okay. And then when Neil left, Thomas continued and then started laying heavy hints over the next year or two. And then he left the series of the Avengers and he turned to Engelhardt and said, you want to know the secret? I've laid all these clues out here. This is where it's going. Do you want me to tell you? And Engelhardt said, sure. So he said, this is where it's going to pay off in, in, you know, that he is the human torch. And Engelhardt went, Oh, I can work with that. And then a couple of years later, he made it play out in the event in the um, celestial Madonna storyline that that Scott Gardner so passionately hates. <laughs> so, so my question is, who came up with that idea? Because I thought it was Roy Thomas, but I've since been told no, it was Neil Adams who threw the first clue in the very first Kree Skrull War issue that he drew, ninety three, the journey to the center of the android where Ant-Man goes into the vision, that's apparently where the first clue was laid. And I, I thought they had been laying clues much earlier than that. Um, but I'm wrong. Well, again, it doesn't really matter. Because at this point, um, you know, Byrne retconned all that. And, and, and basically saying that vision was built from the same parts that were used to make the human torch. But Jim Raymond 
the Human Torch they actually found, and this is all in West Coast Avengers when Byrne was doing it. I remember yeah. it. And so, so yeah. he's just made from the same same type parts, but even but not but not the torches first, yeah. right? So, so that we had the both of them, and that way he doesn't really, you know, I mean, he he gave credit to the the Human Torch history of it, but you know, still, you know, was able to to change it so that we actually still have the Human Torch, which I think is cool. Well, I can understand the intent, but that's been revised and retconned as well by Carlos Potassia and oh, I can't remember Kurt Busiek in Avengers Forever. Uh, and what? Yeah. Now? So, so again, he is uh, Human well, Torch. They apparently recognized that they had a conundrum here, and so basically they devised a very uh, co- overly complicated way to say, "All right, you can have your cake and eat it too." <laughs> There are two different timelines here, and both are valid. One produces the the uh, vision, and the other one does not. And so both are correct. So they had to undo some of what Byrne said and walk that back. But that's my last understanding of where it stands now. So depending on, on which version you want to believe, it's okay, because there's a timeline where that happened. This is the headache that is called time travel, Kang, Immortus, Ramatut. <laughs> and I, I think we may be getting into some of that in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll see where this movie goes, how how much they want to play with altering the timelines and, and what if a character dies and so they're not able to fulfill what they did in an earlier movie. Uh, I, I don't know how they're going to play this. I don't. I don't think that the writers will will spin too deep a tale because of the cinematic universe audience will not tolerate it. And I think they, they recognize that they can't fully embrace what the comics have done. They've got to tell their own tale. Mm-hmm. I've heard that Modoc shows up in this, this yeah, movie. Yeah, and you don't want to look at any of the of the material here. My son spoiled um something to me about that. So okay. so you won't talk about it. Yeah, you'll be surprised when he shows up, though. Yeah, uh, really surprised. I gotta change subjects for just a moment here. And yeah, I, I just finished my second beer, and I'm starting to feel it. Um, yeah. Wednesday, February first, ABC is running a special, the 50th anniversary of Schoolhouse Rock. Oh God. And they're gonna do a sing along. Oh a boy. Sing along. Yeah. I'm just a bill. All yes, the people who've grown up in Schoolhouse Rock are going to be singing the songs <laughs> with the characters on yeah, TV. Yeah, why not? I'll have the words going okay. across the bottom, just, just like karaoke. Cool. What's what's uh, conjunction, junction? What's your function? Hooking up words uh, and phrases and clauses. I'm just a bill from on top of the hill. That's all I know. That's... That's my sum total knowledge. You've just sung the only bit that I know. <laughs> Verb, that's what's happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. <sighs> well, listen, guys, I need to get to yeah, bed. It's one thirty in the morning. I think it's time for all of us to, to hit the hay. But uh, I, I, I had fun tonight. I know John and I meandered a little bit here and there, but it was it was still fun. And just a, just a little uh, a little chit chatty this time, yeah. you know, rather than the 
going through a book and all that. Yeah. So. Hey, we really like to hear what you guys think, uh, not just about this show, but every show that we do. We'd like you to write it. So uh, get out your pens and, and, and paper and write this down. Gotta get burned. That's G O T T A G E T B Y R N E D at gmail.com. And uh, send us an email. Let me know. Let, let, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, we'll read it on air like we do everything else. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to do that, go out to uh, Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes, and leave us a five-star review. Or you can leave us a review, you know, just just a review. But, you know, let us know how we're doing. We'd like to hear from you. Of course, we also have our Facebook group. You can leave us a note there. Uh, you can leave it as, as a note to the post about this episode. We'd just like to hear what you guys have to say. So if you can, please do so. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll you know, read it on air. We do have one email from Nigel Spink, but I think we'll hold that for a regular third degree burn, burn uh, proper show, our next one that we do. That sounds great. All right. Well, thank you very much, Kirk and John, for joining for third degree burn. I'm Brian, and uh, we'll talk at you later. I'm, I'm going to get another beer that was really good. Mm. Enjoy. All right. Thanks, good everyone. Guys. Say good night, Kirk. Good night. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.